session. It is already done. Listen, today uh, we're going to be talking about how it's already done. We're going to be talking about trusting God in the midst of the battle, trusting God in the midst of the battle. Now, here's the thing. The Lord never promised us we wouldn't have battles. He never said that. He never said that if you accept me, uh, every every day of your life is going to be smooth sailing. You're never going to have to face anything. You're never going to have to uh, stand up straight and you're never going to have to be able to uh, overcome something. He, he never, ever, ever said that. What he did say is that in this world, we would have some troubles. Right. That's what he said. He said, but don't fear for I have already overcome the world. And if we are in him and he's overcome the world, then we too have overcome the world. So we must be ready for the battles that's going to try to make us think that we haven't already overcome. And so what I want to do, uh, if you was with us on Wednesday night, and if you weren't with us on Wednesday night, you can go back and listen to it. But on Wednesday night, we talked about living the triumphant life or living a life in victory. And I started uh, that message by talking about the first two paragraphs of our guiding word. And so I want to revisit that real quick before we get into today's teaching. I want us to look at what the Lord has said to us in that guiding word. And so um, if you look at it and if you've been reading it, you ought to be familiar with it, right? Because here's what it says. It says, I am your father in covenant. And I declare unto you that there has been a shift in the realm of the spirit. I don't know about you, but every time I read that, I just pause and I give God some praise for that. I give God praise for the shifting that's taking place because anytime God shifts us, it's because he's trying to get something new to us or trying to get us in a place to receive something new. It's not new to him, but it's new to us because it's already done in him. He says, in these future days are the days that I have long prepared for you. See, that's how we know that it is already done. He says, the supernatural shall increase in every arena of your life. And again, I have to stop and give God praise. When he gives me a word that tells me it's already done, when he tells me that he is my father in covenant, and when I understand what that covenant relation is like and how strong of a bond it is, he says, I have, there's been a shift in the spirit realm. I have to give him praise for it. And when he tells me that the supernatural is about to increase in every arena of my life, I have to give him praise for that too. And then he says, so prepare yourselves, glory to God, for I have opened heaven gates wide for you. He finishes up this paragraph by saying, and those who believe and those who will receive, I'll begin to perform mighty acts on their behalf. Now, listen, I am telling you, there is something about a person who will believe. There is something about a person who believes their ability to receive from God. The Bible lets us know that all the promises, uh, uh, all the promises of God are in him. Yes. And amen. It is so. The Bible also tells us that if we cannot believe, then all things are available to us. If we can just believe all things are possible, they are available to us. And so based on what the Lord has shared in just those, just those two uh, paragraphs of the guiding word, we were talking about living 
the triumphant life, right? Living a life of victory, living a life that 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 is God ordained, not this barely getting by, this mediocre, this average life, but living a life where we can really say, like they say in Deuteronomy, that we are the head and not the tail, right? That we are blessed going in, we are blessed going out, right? That we are above and not beneath. We are talking about living that John 10, 10 life when he says uh, that, that, that we would have a life and that we would live it more abundantly to the full until it overflows, and so I started talking about some examples of people we saw in the Bible who lived that kind of life. And literally, while I was teaching, the Lord gave me the message on Wednesday night for today. And so I want us to jump right into this message about trusting God in the midst of the battle. We're only going to go uh, to one particular subject today, one particular set of scriptures, and that is in Second Chronicles chapter 20. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you're going to find that this chapter is a treasure trove of wisdom. It really, really is on how we as believers should be able to navigate the battles of life, reminding us that when we trust in God, victory is already assured. Somebody go ahead and put in the comment section, I already have the victory. I already have the victory. The Bible says, thanks be to God who causes us to triumph in victory, right? We already have it. We are victorious. We are, we are more than conquerors is what the Bible says. And we win in every situation. And so it's important for us to set our minds on that. We talked on Wednesday night and we said one of the first things you got to have if you're going to live a triumphant life is you got to have a winner's mentality. You got to have a winner's mentality. Where do we get the winner's mentality from? From God's word. He says to us that we are victorious. So let's look at 2 Chronicles, verse 20. Uh, actually, let's look at 2 Chronicles, uh, the, 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 the whole thing. I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to walk you through portions of it, okay? But let's grab the context. Let's understand the context of what's happening here, okay? In case you haven't read this story before. We're going to begin by setting the stage. In 2 Chronicles, verse 20, we find that King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah are in the midst of facing a formidable enemy alliance that threatens to come and overwhelm them and to destroy them. In 2 Corinthians uh, 20, we are presented with a pivotal moment in the history of King Jehoshaphat's reign and the people of Judah. At this point, they are confronted with a dire and seemingly insurmountable challenge. And some of you this morning, you may feel the same way. You may not be facing an army that's coming after you, but you may have an army of debt. You may have an army of bad medical reports. You may have an army of bad relationships. You may have an army of bad uh, uh issues as it relates to your work or your career. And you may seem overwhelmed and it may seem insurmountable, but I need you to look at the wisdom that we're going to discover in what we do when we are in the midst of a battle. The Bible lets us know that there was a powerful enemy alliance that had united against King Jehoshaphat and Judah. This enemy alliance was not just a minor inconvenience to them. In fact, it was a force that possessed the ability to destroy them. They had significant threat to their lives and to their very existence of them and their children's children. This situation was so dire and, the, and so dire and the odds appeared to be stacked against each and every one of them. As a leader, King Jehoshaphat found himself at a crossroads. 
And his response to this immediate danger was crucial to either the well-being or the detriment of the people he was leading. See, if you are a leader, and I don't care whether you're a man or a woman, you are leading someone. There are people who are looking up to you. There are people who are desiring to know what to do because they're studying your life. And King Jehoshaphat was in this crossroads and had to make the decision about what he was going to do now that he was faced with this formidable enemy alliance coming against him. It was in this moment that holds valuable lessons for us. And I believe that the lessons we can learn from this will allow us to live out this guiding word that God has promised us for 2024. Because we, too, will encounter some formidable challenges in our lives. I have no doubt that there are some things that we are not expecting to show up in 2024 that think they're going to come and knock us off kilter. We don't know what they are. They think they're going to come against us. But what they don't know is that we know that we already won. We know that it's a done deal. We know God's already provided the path for our victorious living. See, these challenges, they may come and they may take on various forms. Some of them may be physical. Some may be emotional and some may be spiritual. And they can come in the shape of personal crisis or health issues, financial troubles, broken relationships, or even the weight of some spiritual battles that we have to take. But I need you to know this morning on December 17th at 951 Central, Central Standard Time that you have already won. That's right, that's right, Miss Mosley, we already won. We are winners, we have the victory, we have already overcome. It doesn't matter what shows up at our door, we have the game plan, we have the blueprint to victory. God has already laid out the strategy that we need to follow. And if we follow it, we will see victory, not just in the spiritual realm, we will see it in our natural lives. Now, the parallel between King Jehoshaphat's situation in our own lives sometimes can be striking. Why do I say that? Because just as he and the people of Judah faced an external enemy that sought their destruction, we too confront adversaries that threatened to try to overwhelm us. Again, Jesus told us in this world, we would have troubles. See, these adversaries that we have in our life manifest differently than an army uh, of the old days that King Jehoshaphat had to face, but they're no less formidable. What do I mean? It can be adversaries like addiction, whether it's sexual addiction, whether it's food addiction, uh, whether it's alcohol or drug addiction. It can be depression. It can be anxiety. It can be overwhelming stress from a myriad of areas that we keep trying to be self-reliant in that we don't give to God. Or it can be the persistent pull of worldly temptations. So many times I see believers who really want to do things the right way. They really want to honor God. They really want to follow and do things God's way. But they look and they see all of these wicked people who seem to be prospering, people who, who don't honor God, people who don't reverence God, people who don't fear God, and they do whatever they want to do. And it seems like things are working out for them. You cannot be dissuaded because of that. You cannot allow this persistent pull to do it the world's way, to pull you away outside of what God wants to do. Because in God, we always win. In God, we always come out on top. In God, we get everything we need without any sorrow being added to it. Understand? And so we, we, have to, we have to understand who our adversaries are, just like King Jehoshaphat had to understand who his adversaries are. 
However, it is in these moments, hear me and hear me loud and clear. It is in these moments of crisis and despair that we can draw inspiration from King Jehoshaphat's response. Because the subsequent events in 2 Chronicles 20 teaches us what we need to do to ensure that we have the battle. We learn about faith. We learn about humility. We learn about seeking divine guidance in the face of adversity. See, King Jehoshaphat didn't rely on his own strength. And I think that's so great because we've been talking about being God dependent. Somebody put that in the comment section. Say, I am God dependent. And because we are God dependent, we aren't self-reliant. That means that we don't have to try to draw wisdom. We don't have to try to draw strength. We don't have to try to draw anything from our own abilities. Everything we need is contained in God. And because God is in us, it may seem like we're pulling something out of us, but all we're pulling is God out of us. We are God-dependent individuals. And as a, as a result, everything we need, we can find in us because Christ is in us. So you got to understand, when we begin to become God-dependent, it is really an act of humility. I have to humble myself enough to say, I don't know it all. I have to humble myself enough to say, I don't have it figured out. I have to humble myself enough to say, God, I trust you with everything that I have. Even when you are telling me to do something that flies in the face of every natural fact that I know. That's why you have to learn how to attack your facts with faith. That's why you have to sometimes fire your emotions. You have to say, I don't care what it feels like. I don't care what the best experts say. This is what God said. And I'm going to do it even if I have to do it with fear and trembling. I'm going to fire my emotions and I'm going to attack my facts with faith. Why? Because this act of humility and this act of relying on God will ultimately lead me to miraculous deliverance. It will lead me to victory. I already got the victory, but I got to do those things necessary that leads me to where victory is. So understand this. In the same way we can find hope and strength in our faith, regardless of the seemingly insurmountable challenges we face, we do this by turning to our faith. The, we, we say this all the time here at Fellowship of Champions. Faith begins. You could finish this sentence for me. I could pause right now and you guys will start to type it in the comment section. In fact, go ahead and do that. Faith begins, you finish it. Where does faith begin? I'll pause and give me a drink for just a second while you do that. Faith begins where? Faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith begins where the will of God is known. And so when I turn to my faith, what I'm saying is I turn to what did God say? And then once I turn to what God has said, I then begin to seek God for his guidance on how to do what he has said. And then while I'm doing that, I'm acknowledging the entire time my own vulnerability. One of the things you hear me and Pastor Sean say all the time is that if God doesn't help us, we're going to fail anyway. If God doesn't help us, we're going to fail. It doesn't matter that we have multiple degrees between us. 
It doesn't matter that we've matriculated through a couple of different colleges. It doesn't matter how long we've been pastoring. It doesn't matter how great somebody think we are. It doesn't matter how much wisdom we think we have. It doesn't matter. If God doesn't help us, we're going to fail. And because Sean Strickland and Edwin Strickland approaches everything in their life that way, it allows us to stay in a place of being God dependent. We are God dependent no matter how successful we get. Why? Because if God doesn't help us, we're going to fail anyway. And when you learn to do that, it allows you to turn to your faith. What do I mean by turn to your faith? It, it makes you ask the question, what is the will of God for my life in this season, in this time, in this moment? Okay. What is God saying to me? And then whatever God is saying to me, I go back to God and say, okay, God, how would you like for me to implement what you are saying to me in my life? And then while I'm doing that, I'm acknowledging the whole time that I'm not smart enough to figure it out. I got to rely on you for all of my next steps. And when we do that, we can find resiliency to overcome every adversity that we face. Amen. Now, just as God intervened on behalf of King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, we too can experience God's grace and deliverance in our lives when we place our trust in him. So as we explore this story this morning of King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah in 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 20, let us reflect on our own battles. OK, whatever battles you're facing, whatever thing is, is in your life like now, let's look at those and let's apply these principles to what we're facing. And let us remember that just like Judah, just like King Jehoshaphat, we have the opportunity to turn our faith on and to seek divine intervention when facing challenges that may seem insurmountable. This biblical account serves us as a reminder that even in our darkest moments, there is hope. Even in our darkest moment, somebody go ahead and type this in the comment section. Say, I am not without hope. I am not without hope. Listen, I am telling you that hope is great, but when hope is an anchor for our soul, but when but when but you can't just be you can't just have hope in nothing. You got to have hope in what did God say? You got to have hope in your faith. I am not without hope. Amen. I am not without hope. Somebody ought to be telling somebody this morning, listen, I am not without hope. If you're sitting with somebody, you ought to tell them this morning, listen, I am not without hope. I am not in this world without hope. God has given me his word. I have believed his word. It resonates with me. It is in my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, my imagination, and my intellect. And as a result, I am not in this world without hope. I have hope in Christ. So let's take a look. That's the context. Let you know this story. Let's take a look at what happens. Let's look at Jehoshaphat's response. OK, let's look at Jehoshaphat's response, because I think it's important that when we do this, we understand that Jehoshaphat had this response that we must uh, get to. I want to start by looking at uh, really I want to go to First Chronicles 20 and 1. OK, here's what it said. It says it came to pass that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other besides the Amorites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. The next verse says, then there came some that told Jehoshaphat saying, there cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side of Syria. And behold, they be in, in, Hazard, in, in Hazardamar, which is in Engad. 
Now look at verse three. It says, and Jehoshaphat feared, now notice this, it said, and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. This is important. It said, and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah, okay? In verse four, it says, and Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all of the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And then he says in verse five, it says, uh, well, in verse five through verse 13, we find that Jehoshaphat stands before the entire congregation of Judah and Ju in Jerusalem and begins to speak out to God. Now, let me let me go back and explain kind of what's happening here. King Jehoshaphat's response to this crisis is a model of faith and trust in God. He immediately turns to seek the Lord, proclaiming a fast throughout the land. Jehoshaphat recognized that the battle was not theirs alone, but God's. That's the first thing you need to grasp this morning. Whatever you're facing, it is not yours alone. God did not call you into the kingdom of light and out of the kingdom of darkness only for you to have to face everything alone. He called you into his kingdom so that, in fact, you could give him what you were facing and that he could take care of it for you. In times of crisis, how we respond often reveals the depth of our faith and our trust in God. King Jehoshaphat's response to the impeding threat provides us with a profound example of faith and reliance on God in the midst of troubles. The first remarkable aspect of Jehoshaphat's response is his immediate turn to seek the Lord. Here's the question. What do you do when trouble shows up? What do you do when you are facing a crisis? The Bible says that Jehoshaphat, the first thing that he did is he turned to seek the Lord. Because he turned to seek the Lord, he did not resort to panic. Because he turned to seek the Lord first, he did not resort to self-reliance. He, Because he turned to seek the Lord, he did not turn to worldly strategies when faced with the alarming news that trouble was on the way. you got to ask yourself the question this morning. What do you do when trouble shows up? Instead, what Jehoshaphat did is that he recognized the need to seek God's guidance. He understood that he needed God's intervention from the outset. See, some of you, what you do is you first begin to panic. And then once you panic, then you begin to uh, try to get into self-reliance. And then once you get into self-reliance, then you go into worldly strategies. Then once the enemy begins to kick your behind, then you begin to seek God. But Jehoshaphat had a different approach. His approach was the reverse. He said, I don't need to engage in panic. I don't need to engage in self-reliance. I don't need to engage in worldly strategies. What I need to do is ask God what I should do in this situation. And I am telling you that if you are not a person who is responding this way, you need to change. Hear me, you need to change. So you have to ask yourself, what do I do when trouble shows up? Now, here's what Jehoshaphat teaches us. He teaches us the importance of turning to God as our first response. When confronted with challenges, it is important that we remain in faith. It is a reminder also that our faith should be the foundation of our actions in times of crisis. We've said it before. What is faith? Faith is knowing the will of God. 
If I know the will of God, then I can remain in that space no matter what's going on around me. We talked on Wednesday night about how Peter got out of faith. Well, how did Peter get out of faith? Peter asked the Lord when he, when he saw the Lord walking on water, he said, Lord, is that you? He said, if it's you, bid me to come. The Lord says, come. Peter is focusing on the words that Christ has said. What did God say? That's faith. Come. He was focusing on the word come. And as long as he was focusing on that word, he was defying gravity. He was defying natural laws. Why? Because he was doing what God had said. But the moment he took his eyes off of Christ, the moment he took his eyes off of the word come and he started looking at the wind, he started looking at the rain, he started looking at the waves. The Bible says he began to sink. And some of you are sinking today in different arenas of your life because you have taken your focus off of what God has said. But I declare to you what the Lord said to me in the guiding word, which is that he is going to cause the supernatural to increase in every arena of our lives. So what's the next thing that Jehoshaphat does? The next thing he does is he proclaims a fast. Jehoshaphat's decision to proclaim a fast throughout the land is symbolic of his commitment to seeking God's guidance. The Bible says that when we fast, we fast and we break the bands of the wicked one. We break the bands of everything the enemy wants to hold over us. And so what he was doing is he says, listen, we're going to ask God for help. And to show how committed we are, we're going to push our plates back. The whole congregation of Judah, we're going to push this plate back and see what thus says the Lord. Fasting is often associated in the Bible with self-denial. They were denying themselves so that they could rely on God. It's a principle. It's symbolic. What are you denying of yourself so that you can rely on God? It is a heightened focus on spiritual matters, and they needed a spiritual answer to what was going to happen because they knew that they, the army they were facing was way too formidable for them to go up against alone. See, by calling for a fast, Jehoshaphat emphasized the seriousness of the situation and his determination to rely on God's wisdom and strength. This act serves as a powerful reminder that our spiritual disciplines and our spiritual practices can draw us closer to God and help us discern his will in difficult times. I tell people this all the time. There is no worse time. Hear me. There is no worse time to be trying to hear what God is saying than when everything is going haywire in your life. You need to practice hearing God even in the safe time. You need to practice hearing God in the times of your life when things are going in such a way that that you can hear God clearly. So that way, when panic is all around you, you don't panic because you're still hearing God. Understand that after that, Jehoshaphat declares that the battle is not going to be theirs alone. This underscores a fundamental truth about faith. What Jehoshaphat did was acknowledged. Watch this. That victory did not depend solely on their military might, and it did not depend solely on their strategic proudness, but on God's divine intervention. Now, I love this because when Jehoshaphat makes this determination, they have not yet heard God speak. But what he knows is that God is, is, is declaring to him in this fast that they're not going to have to fight alone. Now, that could mean a lot of things to him. It could mean that God was going to raise up some other armies who was going to come from somewhere else and that God was going to help them, right? 
What he knew is what Pastor Sean and I say all the time, which is what I said earlier. If God doesn't help us, then we are going to fail anyway. If God does not help us, we are going to fail. This recognition of God's sovereignty over the situation, it demonstrates a deep trust in God's providence and a willingness to submit to his will. I wonder if I, that's what I really want. I want a group of people who I get to pastor who have a deep trust in God's providence and in, in, his, in, his, in his providence and his willingness to submit to his will. God, we're going to submit to you no matter what's coming against us, no matter what it looks like. God, we are going to trust you. In our own lives, this will serve as a lesson to release control and place our trust in God's hand. In fact, somebody ought to say that this one to say, God, I release control. I release control of my own life because I know that if I try to be self-dependent, I'm going to get in my way. I release control. See, Jehoshaphat's response to the crisis in 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 20 serves as an inspiring model for us today. Why? Because it challenges us to examine our own response to adversity, and it encourages us to prioritize faith and trust in God. God, I release control. I don't have to be in control. I release control. That is what Jehoshaphat and all of Judah did. They released control. See, it's not that they didn't have a military. They had a military. But if you if you read that whole account, they had a military. But 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 God told them, you're not going to have to do this alone. And then something miraculous happens. And we're going to get into it in just a moment. But I want to give you lesson one. I want to give you lesson one. Here's what you need to do. You need to first things first. You need to seek God first. OK, you need to seek God. That's the first thing you need to do is to seek God first first. Okay. You got to seek God first. When faced with challenges, our first instinct should always be to seek God. We draw near to him in prayer and fasting, acknowledging our dependence on him and our guidance on him. It's what the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter six, verse 33. We read it many, many times, but here's what it says. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the first thing we do. We should do it in every endeavor. It says, and when we do, then all these things will be given unto you. See, sometimes things aren't material things. Sometimes you need an answer. Well, what do I do when I need an answer? I seek him first. I seek his kingdom first. This verse emphasizes the importance of seeking God as our top priority. That is lesson number one. Lesson number one, seek God first. We actively acknowledge our dependence on his guidance and strength by seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. This verse encourages us to prioritize our relationship with God above all else, even in the face of challenges. I know how easy it can be to run to your friends. I know how easy it can be to even run to your pastor. I know how easy it can be to run to those who you respect. And I don't have a problem with that. The Bible says that there is wisdom in the multitude of counsel. But your first step should be going to God. You should need be able to hear something from God. Then you talk to your wisdom, to, I mean, talk to your counsel to get wisdom about whether that resonates. You know, if, you, if you're not sure, you know, there were times that I used to call Pastor Tony about certain things a lot more than I do now. As I get more and more proficient from hearing from God, 
I don't have to rely on others as much. It doesn't mean that I become self uh, dependent. It just means I become more God dependent. I know what God sounds like. And so you got to learn to seek God first. Amen. Okay. So we looked at the context of this thing. We, we went back and we looked at Jehoshaphat's response. And now let's look at God's assurance. As we look at God's assurance, what we're going to do is we're going to look at second Chronicles 20 through 15, because in verse three through 15, you find this dialogue that they're having. And you can go back and read all of that. But I want us to look at second Chronicles 20 uh, uh, and 15. Or you can just make a note about that, that this is where we are. God gives them some assurance. OK, and here is the assurance that God gives them. It says, and he said, hearken ye. That word hearken means to hear and do. He says, hearken ye all Judah and all of ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus said the Lord unto you, be not dismayed by reason of this great multitude. He says, for the battle is not yours, but God. Now, if you read that, what happens is, and we read verse one through verse four, okay? In verse five through verse verse. verse I guess it's verse 14. They have this dialogue. And then at the end of verse 14, the spirit of the Lord, right? Because they've been fasting. They've been praying. They've been declaring that God is going to be with them. And then in verse 15, the spirit of the Lord comes up on Jehaziel. And what happens is he gets a word from the Lord. And the word of the Lord is, is that they are not going to have to fight in this battle. As Jehaziel is being inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's given this message of assurance to convey to the people. Now, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit speaks to him. He declares what the Holy Spirit has said. Now the people have to believe. I've told you that God has told me to tell you that the supernatural is going to increase in every arena of your life. Now, the question is, will you believe? Because we're going to read later on in this same passage of scripture. It says to believe God's prophet. You, it, says, it says to believe in God, you'll be established. But to believe his prophet, you shall prosper. And so they had to not only believe what Jehoshaphat said, which is we won't be alone. But they had to believe what the spirit of the Lord was saying upon Jehaziel, which is they didn't even have to fight in the battle. I'm telling you, God's getting ready to do some supernatural things in our life that we haven't seen because we are positioned to now see what he has already assigned. It's not going to be new because God's doing something new. It's going to be new because we're going to see it as new because we are going to be in a place that we hadn't been seen before. That's why he said there's been a shift in the spirit. Amen. Understand this. Jehaziel's message underscores the idea that God is in control of all situations. When he assured the people that the battle was not theirs but God's, he was emphasizing God's sovereignty. He was reassuring them that God was the source of their great comfort. And he was reminding them that regardless of the challenge they, they faced, the ultimate control of the outcome had already been determined by God. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. It doesn't matter what the bank says. It doesn't matter what your boss says. It ain't matter what your kids are saying. It ain't matter what, what people in your community are saying. I don't care what they say about you. It is based on what, what, what did God say? That is your reality. Whatever God says is what's already done in your life. If, you're, if you, as he says in the guiding word, will believe and receive it. 
understand this act of trust is a key component of our relationship with God. Trusting God is such a powerful thing. It, it, sometimes it'll make you off-putting to people. It'll make you look like you're arrogant. It'll make you look like you know everything. And, and sometimes people just won't understand it. Don't hold it against them. But when you know what God has told you and you move forward and you do what God has told you to do, there is just this sense of calm that comes over you that cannot be understood by those who do not know what God has said to you. They will be losing their minds. They will be going crazy. They will be contemplating whether or not uh, they even want to be on this planet. Listen, I'm telling you, there's a sense of peace and calmness that comes with knowing what God has said. This idea that we can trust God and that the outcome is already determined is, is a powerful concept and it's rooted in scripture. We don't even realize it, but we quote it all the time. Jeremiah 29 and 11. How many times do we do we read that when he says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. They are thoughts of increase. They are thoughts of peace. They are thought to give you an expected end, a future and a hope, right? A future and a hope. We say it all the time. We quote it all the time. But what that scripture is really saying is that God has already caused our victory to be won. When we trust in God, we can confidently believe that he works all things together for our good, even as circumstances appear to be dire. One of my favorite scriptures is Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says, and we know, anybody out there know that all things work together for the good of me because I love God? And it says to those who are called according to his purpose, if you are called according to God's purpose, you got to know that even when it doesn't seem to be working out for you, God's on the back end working things out for you. I know it's working for me. Somebody ought to put that in the comment section. I know it's working for me. I know it's working for me. I know it is working for me, which is why I can be so confident in lesson number two. Lesson number one is I got to seek God first, but lesson number two is that God promises are sure. I know it's working for me. I know it's working for me. I, 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 know, I know what they say about the economy. I know what they say about gas prices. I know what they say about food prices. I know about the cost of, of college tuition for multiple kids in school at the same time. I get it. But you know what else I know? I know God's promises are sure. I know it's working for me. I know it's working for me. Listen, if, if you are having trouble typing that this morning, you ought to force yourself to type it because you need to see it. You need to, you need to see your name in those words on the screen. Your eye gate needs to see it. And then you need to say it out loud. If you I don't care where you are, unless you're in church and you shouldn't be in church. Listen to me if you're in church with somebody else. But 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 you need to say, I know it's working for me. I know it's working for me. It's working for me. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, 23, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who has promised is what? Faithful. God has promised some things to us. And if God has promised some things to us, then he is faithful. And I know, I know it's working for me. It's working for me right now. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what my bank account says. I don't care what the doctor report said. It is working for me. It is working for me. 
All things are working together for the good of me because I love the Lord. It is working for me. God, who, who is unmovable, God, who is unshakable, he, he has made a promise to us. I go back to that guiding word again. He says, I am your father in covenant, and I declare that there has been a shift in the realm of the spirit. That's a promise. That's a promise. So God is unmovable. And so I know it's working for me. He says the supernatural shall increase in every arena of your life. That's a promise. It's working for me. He says in those who believe and those who will receive, I'll begin to perform mighty acts on their behalf. That's a promise. It's working for me. The supernatural is working for me. How do I know I can trust God? Second Corinthians chapter one. Verse 20, it says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. It's working for me. It's working for me. I know God is already working on my behalf. Why? Because his promises are sure. His promises are sure. When I read 2 Corinthians verse 1 through 20, it affirms for me the fullness or, and God's faithfulness of his promises and how they are fulfilled in Christ. It encourages us to affirm and to speak our amen to God's promises, signifying our agreement and trust in his faithfulness. Your amen says it is so. God, what, whatever God has promised you today, you need to say amen to it. It is so. God says, I'm going, I'm going to teach the people of FOC how to believe for C. Amen. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to create Project 2024. I want you to tell them that I want them to make the commitment to sow $1,000 and tell them I don't want it out of their checking and savings account and stuff they already have. I want them to believe me for it because I want to show them that I'm going to give them seed and bread simultaneously. So now you got to say amen. How do you say amen? By signing up. That's how you say amen. It is so. Well, I don't know where I'm going to get the thousand dollars. Amen. Amen. God, I, it's, it's amen. And I trust you to do what you have promised. Just as Hebrews 10, 23 emphasizes holding unswervingly to our hope in God's promises. And 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 underscores the certainty of God's yes in Christ, reinforcing our confidence in his unwavering commitment to fulfill his word. That's what King Jehoshaphat, the people of Judah, and Jehaziel had to do. They had to hang on to God's promise. They had to hang on to God's promise. God's promise was you don't have to fight alone. And then Jehaziel came on and says, we ain't even got to fight in this battle. They had to hang on to God's promises. Now, once they, once they understood that, I want you to see their response. Because this ought to be your response once you say Amen. Once God makes a promise to you, and once you say amen, it is so, this should be your response. It should be a worshipful response. They had a worshipful response to God. In the face of this impeding battle, Jehoshaphat and his people began to worship the Lord. They praised God for his holiness. They praised God for all that he was going to do, his everlasting love recognizing that their victory was going to be rooted in him. They didn't wait till the battle was over. They praised God as a response to their amen. 
When God makes you a promise and you say, okay, God, I believe you. What's your next response? To sit around and wait for it to happen? Or do you go ahead and give God a praise because you know it's already done? Because whether you know it or not, it's already done. When is it done? He says, when you pray, believe that you receive. And when you pray and you believe you receive, if you have received, you ought to have a response to that receiving. When someone gives you a gift and you receive the gift, what do you do? You say, thank you. So when God gives you a promise and you say, amen, it is so, what is your response? It should be a worshipful response. In fact, if we was in church right now, I'd stop and I'd make you take 13 seconds to give God some praise. And then after you did that, I'd probably have you do another 30 seconds of praise. And then I had you do another 60 seconds of praise. Why? Because he's worthy of our praise. Their response signified that instead of succumbing to fear and despair when, when confronted with this imminent battle, King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah chose to worship the Lord. What do you do in dire circumstances? Do you crawl up in a ball? Do you cry? Do you wonder if God has left you? Or do you receive his promises as done? And then when you receive his promises as done, do you say, amen, it is so. And after you say, amen, it is so, then you are one of those people the guiding word talks about who believes and receives. And if you receive, do you give God praise? Because in their worship, Jehoshaphat and his people praised God for his holiness. They began to thank him by acknowledging his goodness and his holiness and his faithfulness. And they recognized his supreme goodness and righteousness toward them. So this is what you can glean from this. Here is lesson three. Worship God even in the midst of the battle. Worship God even in the midst of the battle. When we praise God during our battles, we declare our trust in him. We, our worship shifts our focus from the problem to the problem solver. We worship uh, our focus from the problem to the problem solver. And it fills us with peace and it fills us with strength. Let's take a look at Psalms 34 and 1. I like Psalms 34 and 1. It says, out of the NIV, it says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be in my lips. I don't know if I even have it in there, but I think in the King James Version, it says like this. I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will bless the Lord at all times. Listen, that means I'm blessing God when things are going good. I'm blessing God when things aren't going so great. I'm blessing God whether, if, whether I feel like it or not. My soul will make her boast in the Lord. What does that mean? It means that I will make the decision to praise God no matter what I feel like. I'll fire my feelings if I have to, and I will give God praise continually. Amen? Let's look at Psalms, 140, Psalms 145 and 2. I like this. It says, every day, every day, praise God, I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever, every day. What about the good days? I'm going to extol you. What about the bad days? I'm going to extol you. What about the days I don't feel like it? I'm going to extol you. What about the days you bless me? I'm going to extol you. What about the days I don't see any provision? I'm going to extol you. I'm going to extol your name. I'm going to lift up your name. I'm going to praise your name forever and ever, every single day. Why? Because we understand that this daily 
continual praise of God reflects our commitment that we are not trusting in ourselves, but in him. Amen. And then, of course, you know the story. Uh, you, you know what happens uh, in Second Chronicles 20, 20 through, through 23. I think I have that in there. Let's let's I think I have it in there. Let's let's read that. Second Chronicles 20, uh, 20 through to 23. It says, and when they began to sing, because remember now, remember, get how this happened. Right. The context. They're facing an army. The army comes against them. What's the first thing they do? Lesson number one, they see God. OK, what's a, what's lesson number two? They believe in God's promises. OK, what's the next thing they do? They begin to give God some praise and they begin to worship him. Right. OK, now watch what happens. Watch what happens in verse 22. It says, and when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, the Lord began to set an ambushment against the children of Ammon, the children of Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah. It says, and they were smitten. Next verse. It then says, for the children of Ammon and Moab, watch this, they stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Zir. Now you got to understand, these were all armies who had gathered together and who had had conversations, who had planned to attack Judah. They were going to kill Judah. And the reason that Jehoshaphat was so dismayed at the beginning, if you go back and you read it, it is because he says to the Lord, somewhere between verse, uh, verse, 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 I think it's verse four and verse 13. He says, Lord, these are the people you told us not to destroy. We could have killed them, but you told us not to destroy them. And now would you allow them to come and to destroy us? And to take everything we have and everything from our kids, he says, I don't believe that's your character. He said, so we're going to call a fast and we're going to pray and ask you what we should do. And that is when the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel and said, listen, you ain't even got to fight in this battle. Here's what you're going to need to do. I want you to send out Judah first. I know you got a military, but don't send your military out first. I want you to send Judah first and put the military behind them. Now, that goes counterintuitive to everything we know about fighting a war. And that's why you got to know what God is saying, because sometimes God's going to tell you to say something. It's going to seem counterintuitive to what the world is telling you to do. But in verse 23, it says the children of Ammon and Moab stood up. They started fighting against the people they were supposed to be there to, to, in partnership with. The Bible says that they began to utterly slay and destroy each other. Imagine these armies who came to fight against Judah. They begin to hear the praises, glory to God, of the people who trust in God. And while the people of God are marching toward them. And I love this because God never has us to retreat from a fight. God sent them to the fight, but he sent them to the fight with a praise. I wonder if you would show up this morning. And you will begin to praise over your problems. If you'll begin to praise over everything, don't run from the bills. Don't run from the doctor's report. Don't run from the way with children. Begin to declare what God has said. Begin to trust in his promises. Begin to release a praise out of your mouth from the depths of your belly that declares that you believe what God has said is already done. They begin to sing songs and to sing praise. And God himself said, ambushment 
against those two or three armies and made them fight each other. And if that wasn't enough, let's look at, at this next verse. It says, or the next part, it says, and when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Mount Zir, Mo, uh, Ammon and Moab came against Mount Zir, killed everybody over here. It says, and when they had done that, then every one of them helped to destroy the other. They started fighting themselves. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that when you begin to trust God, he'll cause your problems to start killing your other problems. And before you know it, this problem will take care of that problem and that problem will take care of that problem. And before you know it, you won't even have any problems. Somebody ought to give God some praise this morning. God is taking care of your problems. Somebody ought to just declare that God is handling my problems. I'm not saying that there's not something you will have to do. They had to do something. They had to march toward that army. They had to release that praise. They had to trust and believe God. But they didn't have to expend the energy to fight the stuff that God was going to fight for them. And I'm telling you this morning, you don't have to fight the stuff that God has already determined he's going to fight for you. And so this is their miracle. This is their miracle of victory. They begin to give God praise. This part of the story highlights the remarkable power of worship as a spiritual weapon. My praise is a weapon. My praise is a weapon. And that's what we get out of lesson four. Lesson four is that God fights our battles before we show up. God fights our battles before we show up. You got to know that God has got you. You got to know. That's right, Mish. God is handling your problems. God's got this. God's got this. Listen, you don't have to go pull it up or anything, but in the guiding word, that's what he says. He says, stay calm. No matter what you notice happening in the world. See, Everything that's happening for me right now, I'm going back to the guiding word because I read it so many times a day. It is ingratiated in me. Right. He says, so calm. He says, stay calm. No matter what you notice happening in the world. The next thing he says is, I got you. I got you. God has given FOC a Jehoshaphat Jehaziel type of word. I got you. My praise is a weapon. God fights for me before I even show up. He's already doing something supernatural on my behalf. When I trust God in the midst of a battle, he fights for me. God fights for me. His ways are higher than my ways. His strategies are more perfect than I could ever imagine. We may not understand how, but I am telling you that victory is assured when we trust in God. God is handling my problems. God is fighting for me. God says, I got you. And I know that may not sound like great English, but God, listen, he says, I got you. I got your back. Stay calm. No matter what you are sensing, no matter what may be coming your way, stay calm. I got you. 
The Bible says this in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. He doesn't mean that we don't think like him. What he means is, is that in our own self-reliancy, we could never get the same outcome we could get if we trust in him and become God dependent. This scripture teaches us that God's ways and strategies are beyond our comprehension. That's why we pull God out of us rather than pulling us out of us. That's why I love Psalms 119 verse 96. It says to all perfection, I see a limit. There's a limit to everything I could do humanly possible. He says, but God's commands are boundless. One translation says they are without limits and they go into eternity. Whatever God says, it is the ultimate level of perfection. Psalms 119.96 emphasize that while human understanding and strategies are good, they have limitations. But God's commands and ways are boundless throughout time and they are perfect for every situation. It reinforces this idea that placing our trust in God, in his wisdom, in his ways, it always leads me to victory, even when we may not fully comprehend the pathway ahead. When it comes to, to, to being in the midst of a battle, we got to know it's already done. We got to know that God already has us. We got to know that God will fight for us. It is already done. So as I close, I ask you guys to spend some time this week reading 2 Chronicles 2. Read the whole thing because what we don't do, and I don't have time to do it this morning, but I want to say it. What we don't do is we don't read the part about what Jehoshaphat does after God delivers them. And I don't want to, I don't want to go through all of it because I don't have time. But here's what I got to tell you. Jehoshaphat sees God delivers them miraculously, right? Let's talk about the four things that he did real quick. Number one, we said the first thing you got to do is you got to seek God in every battle. Okay. You got to seek God. Here's our conclusion. Seek God first in every battle. Okay. Number two, you got to hold on to God's unwavering promises. Right. Number three, you got to learn to worship him in the midst of the battles. Okay. Everything that comes your way, you got to be able to, to worship in the midst. And then number four, you got to trust that God is fighting for you. You got to trust that God is fighting for you. And if you learn to do those four things, if you learn to seek God first in every battle, if you learn to hold on to God's unwavering promises, if you learn to worship him in the midst of the battles, and if you learn to trust that God is fighting for you, then you don't end up doing what Jehoshaphat did. The Bible says that what Jehoshaphat did is after God had done all of that for him, that he turned his heart to something else. And what I'm saying to you is we don't need to be a people who God delivers us. And then because God delivers us, we go back to relying on ourselves. We cannot go back to relying on myself, on ourselves. So remember, in God's eyes, it's already done. Your victory is assured. We had a message this, uh, a few Wednesday nights ago about the fight being fixed. It's a fixed fight. We already win. In fact, go ahead and tell your neighbor, type it just like this. Say, neighbor, you already won. You already won. It's a fixed fight. I love that. I won't go back. 
See, most people preach this message about Jehoshaphat and they end after the battle. You need to read all of 2 Chronicles 2. Or 2 Chronicles 20. Read all of 2 Chronicles 20. Don't just read the, you know, the first couple of verses. Read the whole thing. Because what you will find out is that if you are not careful, God will lead you through a battle. And then you will turn around and go right back to relying on yourself. It's already done, friend. It's already done. The end of our guiding word says this. It says, remember my covenant with you. I am your father and you are my children. And now it is time for you to see the full benefits of me being your God. For my supernatural is now at hand. I love it. It's the very last part of that guiding word. The very last part of that guiding word, he says, it is now at hand. The supernatural is here. The supernatural is here. People ask that question, Pastor, now we, we're going to come back and finish the message <laughs> that we started. Uh, Lord, I don't even know if that was last week. Maybe it was last Sunday. Uh, well, we were talking about what is the supernatural? The supernatural is when God gives you instruction and you follow it. The supernatural is here. God says, God says it. He says, remember my covenant. He says, I'm telling you. He says, you're going to see the full benefits, the full benefits of me being your father. And it is time for us to see the full benefits of God being. Our I love what you said, Miss Brenda Jones. I won't go back. I won't. I won't go back. This one, I'm not going to live in this season of God providing seed and bread to me. And then I turn around and go back to living on on my own self-reliance because he's increased my standard of living. Because he's gotten me out of debt, because he's healed my body, because he's restored my relationships, because he's increased my career. I'm not going to let God do all of that for me. And then I turn around and I go back uh, to doing that thing where I just start believing in myself again. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to receive the full benefits. That's right, Miss Jackson, the full benefits of him being my father. It's time, y'all. It is time. It is already done. And I'm telling you, we can trust God in the midst of the battle. Amen. Listen, just a couple of announcements I want to make. I, I, I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago about people volunteering. As of right now, we have 14 people who have volunteered to be greeters. Thank God. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. I have created a messenger group. For the 14 people who said they wanted to be greeters. I know a lot of y'all don't check social media all the time. A lot of people don't check email. But we have to have a way to communicate. So our way of communicating will be in that Facebook Messenger group. There's about five of you who already responded. And I appreciate that. The rest of you, if you're listening and you have said you wanted to be a greeter and that you would be willing to serve. I need you to go to that face to your Facebook messenger. You have it because I sent you a message <laughs> and I need you to acknowledge that you have seen the message. The first message that I sent to you, I've also included in there uh, for you. You've gotten it before anybody else. Our huddle dates for 2024. I've also included in that message for you um, the, um, the the greeters manual. I need you to take a look at that. And then what we will do is we will set up a time where we can have a little short training, right? 
And also I'm asking each of the greeters to look at four dates in the month, in the year of 2024, just four. We got 14 greeters, we, four, four dates, three or four dates that you can commit to being at the huddle. And we're going to ask you to serve on those dates. All right. And I'll put a form out. You don't have to tell me which those dates are. I'm going to give you a form. I'll put in a group. You'll fill it out. And then everybody will have access to it. Doing the same thing for those of you who have been asking uh, to be trained for, for StreamYard. We need more people strength, uh, trained for StreamYard so that we can be more effective and, and, and get more things done uh, in, a, in a more excellent manner. And I appreciate those of you who have said you wanted to do it. So this afternoon, uh, I'll wait. I got a few, uh, another few hours. I put the message up yesterday. Go to the Facebook page. Go to the Covenant Partners Facebook page. It's there. If you want to be trained to be able to help on the back end of the studio and we need more people to do it, we can train you to do that. You can do it from your home. It doesn't matter where you live. You don't have to be in Northwest Arkansas. You can do it from anywhere. We're going to have a short training sometime this week uh, where we start to do some of that initial training to get you trained in how to get in, how to navigate uh, behind the scenes and get things done. Uh, so we have more people able to get that done. OK, once I have a list of those people, I will set up a group in Messenger and that is how I will communicate with you. OK, so those of you who want to volunteer, you said you wanted to volunteer. Make sure that you have communicated that if you, it's not too late to still be a greeter. I can add you to the group, but you got to let me know today if you want to serve in that area. If you want to be on the tech team, I need to know that as well. People on the tech team can help serve with StreamYard and or we can eventually train you on how to run a uh, pro presenter uh, doing the huddle. OK, but we need more people doing that. We need more hands doing that. Uh, every now and then we get caught shorthanded uh, and, and, and we just believe we won't have to have that happen anymore because we'll have people who want to serve. And the more people who want to serve, the less time people have to spend serving. Amen. Uh, because we'll have enough people to cover all of those. So want to make sure I reminded you about that. Also, don't forget, I know that was on the screen earlier. You can put it back up. There are multiple ways to give. You can give through PushPay. You can give through Tithely. You can give through text to give. Uh, you can give through, I think I said Givelify. Givelify, PushPay, Tithely, text to give. If you are one of our international partners, you can give through PayPal. If you live stateside, we ask that you don't give through PayPal unless that's the absolute only option that you can do it. Uh, otherwise, we ask you to use our other giving platform methods. Make sure you sign up for Project 2024 and then don't forget to mark your calendar for December 31st for the huddle. You guys know what we do through the course of the week, right? Starting on Monday, we have Strategies for Success. Tuesday, we have Ed Talk. Wednesdays, we have prayer, we have Ignite, uh, and we have Refresh Bible Study. And then on Fridays, we have Champion Circle. And let me say this. Thank you. Thank you for people showing up on Friday. I asked for you to show up on Friday, and our numbers were around 80 on Friday morning. So I appreciate those of you who showed up, even the ladies who were out of town. I, I, I noticed it. I appreciate it. So many of you uh, were in D.C. for the gathering with Pastor Sean and the Soul Shift community, but you still got on prayer and as your pastor, I appreciate that. I, it's the little things that mean a lot to me. And so I appreciate you doing that. So don't forget about our weekly services. Govern yourselves accordingly. Uh, make sure that you make yourself available for all of those different things. And don't forget about our upcoming huddle on December 31st. All right. Listen, I appreciate you guys. Thank you so very much. Have a wonderful day and God bless you. Bye bye.